Welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm Jeff Cranson, Director of Communications at the Michigan Department of Transportation, and this is our weekly conversation with experts in transportation and all things related to mobility. And today we're talking with Brad Weifrick, who is the Director of the Bureau of Development at MDOT. Brad, thanks for taking the time to do this. I appreciate you having me. So let's talk a little bit first about your background and how you got to the position you're in and what your path was, both uh, inside and outside of MDOT. Certainly, yeah. Coming out of school, I actually started my career in the private sector. I went to a small firm in the Chicago area and did a lot of field work, construction work, uh, geotechnical work. That really gave gave me a good basis for for how things are built. Came back uh, home to, to work at MDOT and became a designer. And I really loved design. To me, it was almost like uh, uh, putting a putting a puzzle together, and having that construction background really helped kind of uh, you know make me even a better designer. But then I, I moved on into project management. Uh, worked in three of our our TSCs, our transportation service centers, in three different regions. Ended up managing the Marshall Transportation Service Center before I became the head of design, which is MDOT's engineer of design position. Uh, for the past four years, I've been in the bureau director's position. So, when you talk about design, I think a lot of people probably think, obviously, a lot of what we're doing now is maintaining roads. Um, MDOT has not had the money uh, to to build new roads um, in a long time. I think the last freeway was M6, completed in the early 2000s. Um, outside of the Constantine bypass, a two-lane bypass around a city in southern Michigan and the M231 uh, bypass in Grand Haven, which is another two-lane highway that's hoped to be bigger someday. We just haven't done a lot of new building. So what's involved in design if the road is already there? Well, that's, that's a good question. Um, new construction on a, on a clean slate is, is quite a bit different. Um, but the concepts are still the same. We still need to be able to provide uh, the geometry from a pure design standpoint to fit into uh, the existing environment. And that's probably one of the more difficult things. It's easier, in my opinion, to, to design a new roadway where, where one isn't already there. When you have an existing roadway, there's, there's quite a few more constraints. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So, talk about how it's changed over the years. Um, not to not to date you by any means, but these these things do <laughs> you know, evolve. It, it has changed. Obviously, a lot of things have changed, and technology has been moving right along. Um, when when I was a designer, yes, we did design on computers. I, I wasn't, uh, you know, ink and, and pens and whatnot, but. Uh, Things are changing now mainly with respect to the output, the deliverable that we give to our construction partners, uh, contractors, and and our inspectors for what they actually use in the field and and what is the contract vehicle. So for many, many years, we would have a set of plans. You know, everybody can imagine a set of blueprints, uh, big sheets that, you know, you can roll out on the hood of a pickup truck out on out in the field to take a look at. Um, we are still providing a form of those, but they're now electronic. They're, they're PDF image type files that you can look at on the computer screen. You can print them out if you want. We're actually moving more and more 
to fully electronic deliverables, things that will that the contractor can use um, from a three-dimensional perspective on how the road is built, how the slopes come together, how the alignment of the road uh, raises and falls and turns within the environment. So that's probably the biggest thing that, that I'm seeing is, yes, we're still designing. We still have to have alignments and cross-sections, and, and water still runs downhill just like it used to. But the, 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 the actual files and deliverable that we give to our, our uh, partners in the field is really what's changed. And it's, it, it, it is a natural progression. I think the biggest thing we need to understand, though, is how people can consume it differently. Like I said, you used to be able to roll a set of plans, or still can roll a set of plans out on the hood of the pickup truck while you're looking around um, and pointing at things in the field. Eventually, that'll be all on your, your laptop or your tablet or some other electronic device. So part of designing a project um, is putting together estimates and having up-to-date information on material and labor costs. I mean, those are all things that your bureau factors into design, I assume. Absolutely. Um, we have within our quality assurance section in the design division uh, a unit that's dedicated to specifications and estimates. It's a big part of what we do at MDOT because even when we program a job, you know, five years out for inclusion in our five-year transportation program, we need to have a pretty good idea of what that final estimate's going to be. MDOT contracts are based on pay items, so items of work. Imagine a, a ton of asphalt or a square yard of 10-inch concrete. So they're very um, unit-driven. We keep track of the costs of those pay items we have for many, many, many years, and we use that historical information in average unit prices to be able to provide us the most uh, appropriate estimate. And if I was uh, estimating a job today, we have a system that we'd be able to go into, and it would look at these historical prices over the past couple years, and it'll take into account things like the, the quantity that you're proposing, um, even the geographic location that you're, that you're working in, and it'll uh, has a little algorithm that'll run through and spit out what is a, uh, a fair estimate of what that work can be. So we really build our estimates based on the, the amount of work that's going to be in the contract. And when we have those unit costs, again, like a ton of asphalt, it includes all of the labor, materials, transportation, and other costs associated with that work. So when the contractor bids $80 a ton, it includes all of those things. So what are you seeing with materials costs and what, what's the trend, um, you know, going back a ways or more recently, and what do you think is driving it? Um, there's lots of things that are driving it right now. Uh, we, when, I, when we look back, uh, we have a, a basic report. It's um, just something that shows us trends, and we look at our, our big ticket items. The big things that we do are asphalt, concrete, steel, both reinforcement steel and structural steel, and uh, more recently, we've been looking at a lot of our aggregates, the stone and sand and whatnot. Um, we have seen upticks 
uh, prices are going up. Obviously, inflation goes up too, but it certainly appears that um, we're, we're we're probably outpacing inflation by by a fair amount. I think, uh, and I'm going from memory here. And in 2006, we paid around forty dollars, thirty-five to forty dollars a ton for asphalt. And the last year, we're up over eighty dollars a ton. So those costs just for the asphalt piece, and I'm not picking on them because concrete's uh, very much in the in the same realm. Um, that's what we're seeing is, is nearly a double in the cost of the pay items that we've been keeping track of since about 2006. So, I mean, basically what that says is that uh, whatever amount of money we get or we would decide on um, in a budget and budget negotiations ongoing with the governor and the legislature about road funding, um, it's really, really hard to predict what we're going to what kind of prices you're going to see a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now? It is hard to predict. Uh, like I said, we, we do keep track of this stuff over time to look for trends so that we can do that forecast when we're uh, adding projects into our five-year transportation projects. We are adding inflationary factors onto those projects that are in the out years. Um, we've been fairly successful with that, but there are, there's many, many things that can affect what the, the final outcome is. Many of the uh, somewhat intangibles are the constructability and risk items that are put on a contractor when we put a bid out. So it's pretty easy to, to come up with an average unit cost for uh, you know a ton of whatever material we need. What does that mean when you talk about uh, the, the risk items? So, so, so we can easily come up with an average cost of what a ton is, but when you start looking at things like uh, mobility and traffic restrictions, um, you'll probably notice we do a lot more night paving than we used to. Um, we won't let a contractor close a road for as long of a period of time. Um, with our mobility focus and ensuring that we can keep traffic moving to the extent possible, there's some trade-offs because that makes the contractor less efficient. So therefore, that can drive up costs. Some of our schedules can, can do that as well. We're, um, we, we do a lot of outreach and, and try to uh, come up with context-sensitive uh, solutions in a local entity to, to not only decide what's going to be in the job, but also how the job is built. If there's festivals, if there's certain deadlines that need to be met, the tighter that we uh, make those time frames, um, again, it, it decreases efficiency for the contractor, and at the end of the day, we see that as cost. So really, you don't plan these projects in order to get the maximum inconvenience for all of us? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, we drive the roads ourselves, and uh, at family picnics or church or kids sporting games I, I know I'm gonna get plenty of questions myself so we actually do have a uh, fairly robust mobility policy that that kind of drives a lot of our decisions to ensure that we're we're making smart decisions on the mobility end to make sure traffic keeps moving but we also know that there's economics that go with that so there's there's kind of a balance there that we have to strike well yeah and that's what user delay costs are all about 
Absolutely, absolutely. And again, the user delay costs are a calculation that we come up with that, that takes into a lot of uh, you know economics and just generally people's time. Um, MDOT doesn't see a return on that uh, in, into the coffers that are eventually going to build new roads or, or rehab uh, existing roads, but we do know that there's a value to the public in making sure that uh, mobility is optimized. No, absolutely. I mean, when uh, when MDOT did its first bridge slide at M50 and I-96 near Lowell, um, I know the calculation then was that this could cost 25% to 30 more than uh, doing a traditional bridge, but being able to have it closed for such a short amount of time and limiting traffic for that amount of time um, saved lots of money for the people that, that um, use that those routes for on-time delivery or just for their commute. Absolutely, and that was really a testament to the innovation that we, we have here at MDOT. Um, I remember when we first started hearing about things like that, and we, we, we do, we, we scour nationally and look for great ideas, and uh, this one <clears throat> came to us, and we said we have the, one, of a, one of the best places we could try this out over there on I-96 at, uh, I think it was M50, if I'm not mistaken. Right, yep. Yep, <clears throat> yeah, and to be able to reconstruct an entire bridge without interrupting traffic uh, for more than maybe a day or two, that was was amazing. Yeah, it really was. Um, I think I'll I'll see if I can find our time lapse from that and post it with the the show notes. So when you talk about you know talking to your peers in other states and uh, you know what goes on with the uh, American Association of State Highway Transportation Officials and various committees and the transportation research groups uh, that you guys obviously especially with our neighboring states, share all kinds of information. Yet one of the questions we get most often, um, you know, on our social media platforms and just in, in public is, do we use the best materials or do Michigan road builders use the best materials? How do you answer that? You know, absolutely we do. Um, everything comes down to, to economics and, and what, we have, what we have to work with. But at the end of the day, um, we are fully engaged nationally with, with our, our peer states in the Great Lakes who have similar climates to us as well as others. Um, when you talk about AASHTO, the American Association of State Highway Transportation Officials, they have a very robust arm um, with research. Much, much of the research that's done is on materials. We're, we're always looking to, to crack the code on what that next material is that's going to be um, the most efficient and, 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 and really, uh, obviously, last. Nobody's found that yet. <laughs> we keep all working together. Um, we're, we're continually tweaking and modifying not only the materials themselves, but the construction practices and how the roadbed's built to, to make sure that we're providing the best material that we can. Um, but as of now, we'll continue to work with our neighboring states and our other partners across the nation to, to only improve our materials that we're putting out on the road. Yeah, I think I was surprised early on um, to learn as we got into this issue of materials and whether it's you know research on asphalt or research on concrete, how there are, there are PhDs at universities across the country who spend a lot of time researching and studying these things. Oh, absolutely. I worked for one when I was at Michigan State, concrete research. That's 
what one of my jobs on campus was. So the other frequent question, as you well know, is uh, why is that same road that was worked on a few years ago under construction again? Why don't you just build them right the first time? <laughs> this is a question I think I've answered ever since I got to MDOT, uh, especially when I started working in Mount Pleasant. Um, MDOT uses a very good asset management approach when we're determining pavement fixes. That's a boring term that actually uh, packs a lot of a lot of importance. So, can you explain exactly what asset management is? <laughs> sure. Asset management is uh, ensuring that we we have an understanding of our inventory. We have an understanding of of condition. We have an understanding of how the different fixes can be applied at different times within the life of a pavement section in order to maximize it. And when I, when I talk about fixes, um, we have multiple programs and, and uh, when we're looking at what we're gonna do next on a road. Assuming we're able to reconstruct a road, it's brand new, it may have 20 to 30 years of estimated life if we just set it out there and did nothing but plow snow and, and maybe some other minor maintenance. Through our asset management approach, we know we want to do the right job at the right time to extend that life as long as it can. Uh, we, we typically start with a capital preventive maintenance type fix. Those are the crack seals, those are the chip seals, microsurface, kind of uh, fairly small, inexpensive fixes. But when you do that work on a, on a roadway that's still in pretty good shape, you're kicking the life expectancy out even further. So, so again, if I can take a, a project or a, or a segment of roadway that's still in decent shape, yes, it might have some cracks, it might have a, a couple of blemishes here and there, if I hit that at that time, my cost to fix is, is far, far lower than it would be if I let it deteriorate further. We can only do those types of fixes for so long. You'll see us out there doing a crack seal and then a chip seal, and, and then maybe a few years down the road, we're beyond that. Now we need to get into a rehabilitation fix. Rehabilitation, that's where you're gonna see the bigger paving you know, two courses of asphalt, maybe milling out and, and some spot pavement repairs um, where things are, are, are really bad. Again, extending the life and extending the life as far as you can with the cheapest fix. The goal is to prolong the need for a complete reconstruction. By the time we get to a complete reconstruction, your your costs are, are very high, your, your time to get the work done and get it out there or far further. So again, we get the question, boy, you were just out there five years ago. Why are you out there again? The reason is we're trying to keep the thing in good shape so we eliminate the need for a far more expensive and far more impactful project to businesses or, or motorists. So really that, that sense of innovation, that culture of innovation and, and being a, a kind of a, a pioneer and really a national leader recognized national leader in asset management has, has been all about necessity. It's because MDOT has had to be. But absolutely we have to be. We, we have a finite budget, um, just like you would in your house, and we need to make sure that our investments are being made most appropriately. One of the, one of the analogies I always like to throw out is uh, 
you know, your house, you, your, your home, and if you got a leak in your roof. You know, I, I put my new roof on 20 years ago, and it's, it's getting there. You know, I might need to re- replace it, but I only got a small leak. Why wouldn't you run up there and, and, you know, while it's still in fairly good shape, go patch it. You know, go to the hardware store, get yourself some tar, run up there and patch it. That will allow you to, to extend the life of that and therefore um, kick out the need for more expensive fixes. Yeah, that's a that's a good analogy. Well, thanks, Brad, for taking the time to do this. Um, a lot of these questions, uh, the, the big ones, especially about building them right the first time and why the same roads under construction are, again, are the things we hear most frequently. So I appreciate your insight on that and uh, taking the time to do this. So I'll let you get back to your day job. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. For more on this episode of Talking Michigan Transportation, head on over to our Talking Michigan Transportation SoundCloud page. 